Good morning and welcome to Bethany. I am Jan Lang, a member of the Bethany community. We are worshiping in a very unique and challenging time, but I'm so glad that you decided to come and spend time with us this morning. So whether you're in PJs or sweats or dressed up because it's Sunday, we are delighted you're here. No matter who you are, where you are, what your gender identity is, your sexual orientation, your race, or whether you're a longtime believer, a seeker, or a doubter, you are welcome at Bethany today and always. Normally, right now, we would greet one another. So take a minute and do that in the comments. Say hello, good morning, peace of Christ be with you. Tell us where you're worshiping from and who you're worshiping with. Let's greet one another. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. If you hear nothing else today, this morning, this is the most important thing. You are a child of God, holy and beloved. Nothing, nothing, nothing can take that identity from you. When we say this, we are saying that each and every person is also a child of God. Our task is to honor the image of God in ourselves and in each other. So say it with me. I am a child of God, holy and beloved. I am a child of God, holy and beloved. I am a child of God, holy and beloved. I am a child of God, holy and beloved. I am a child of God. I am child of God. Holy and beloved. Holy and beloved. Hi, my name's Mark Rieke. And my husband Paul and I have been participating at Bethany since 2015. I've been invited by the stewardship team to offer a few thoughts as part of our Faith in Our Future appeal this fall. Paul and I have been together for more than eight years now, and early on in our relationship we knew we wanted to find a faith community that would be good for both of us. We come from very different church experiences, so finding a good fit was a challenge for us. We needed a place that was open and affirming, a place that encouraged questions and thinking, and a place that would give us the flexibility to engage in ways that supported our participation. And we found that at Bethany. More than a church that just welcomed us or included us, the expression in both word and action at Bethany was, you belong. It was that sense of belonging that we'd searched for in finding one another, and it was that same feeling of belonging that we needed in our church home. I think that the expression of belonging, the way we say, I am a child of God, holy and beloved, and mean everyone, is what makes Bethany's mission distinctive, and it's what fuels the ways we serve. It's the message of God's love for all that's needed in our world, especially right now, and it's so necessary for a lot of people 
who felt disenfranchised from the church to hear and experience. Bethany's place and presence in our community is absolutely vital. Paul and I have been giving to Bethany for the past five years, and each year we seek to increase our giving. Last year in our annual appeal that was all about giving beyond our wildest dreams, we made a significant step forward. And this year, we'll increase our pledge commitment again by about 6% over last year. Even though work has been sluggish due to the pandemic, we feel blessed to have what we do, and we're grateful for the chance to share the abundance God's given us. For Paul and me, giving is a way to say thank you. It's a way to grow in the faithful understanding of God's provision. And it's a way for us to be part of a larger, more important story within the life of the church. Many of you know that my work is in capital fund development consulting with Christian churches, and in that work, I get to hear the stories and histories of many congregations. One story I know is of a church in Oregon City, just south of the Portland area. It's Zion Lutheran Church, a congregation about the age of Bethany, and it sits on the lip of the hill in the city there, and you can see its steeple from Highway 205 as you drive the valley below. In its early formation, Zion Lutheran was served by an immigrant German pastor by the name of William Kraxberger, who had come to America for seminary in the early 1900s. Pastor Kraxberger and his congregation struggled and sacrificed in their new mission church, and they managed to raise enough money to build the main church building with the steeple that you can still see today. And this was in the years immediately following the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic. I can't imagine how much it must have taken for those people of modest means to accomplish that task, but as amazing as I think that is, there's more to the story. You see, not only was Pastor Kraxberger able to shepherd and inspire the congregation to raise a church building, he also was able to plant a seed of faith and nurture it in the life of his daughter, Esther. And Esther, in turn, was able to plant a seed of faith and nurture it in the life of her daughter, Joanne. And Joanne, in turn, was able to plant a seed of faith and nurture it in the life of her son, Mark. I never knew my great-grandfather, Kraxberger, but I surely know the love of God because of commitments made over a hundred years ago. A few weeks ago, Pat Warner did a beautiful job recounting the history of Bethany and the challenges faced and overcome over many years. The story of Bethany, just like that of Zion Lutherans, didn't start with us, but we get to be a part of it. And the gifts that we make aren't just for today. They will touch lives across generations, and people we will never know will say thanks be to God for generous commitments in this chapter of Bethany's story. Paul and I hope you'll join us in making a financial pledge and being part of that story. We hope that whatever your response to our faith in our future effort is, it will be one that brings you joy, one that causes you to take another step forward on your own spiritual journey, one that celebrates God's abundance in your life, one that knits you just a little more snugly into the fellowship of Bethany, and one that helps deepen the legacy of proclaiming God's love for everyone in this world.
Thanks so much for listening. Be safe and stay healthy. Sunday. Uh, my name is Kayana. If you don't know me, I'm the children's teacher here at Bethany. If you are new here or you're an old friend, just say hi in the comments. I love hearing from you. Um, this week, we're going to talk about uh, family in the Bible. And I don't know how y'all are doing through, what are we at, like one millionth month of quarantine, it feels like, um, that uh, you might be kind of fighting with one another, sometimes at least, and getting frustrated with your family members. I don't know if that's something you're dealing with, but we're definitely dealing that with that here, especially with school at home and all the new changes. Sometimes we might get on each other's nerves a little bit. And so I thought it would be a good time to read a story in the Bible about another family who uh, didn't get along. And it might make you feel a little bit better about your family because uh, this family was a whole lot worse than mine, that's for sure. And the name of this story is called The Forgiving Prince, Joseph and His Brothers. And it's from the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible in the Old Testament. And it's chapters 37 through 46. Jacob had 12 sons, but of all his sons, Joseph was his favorite. One day, Joseph gave one day, Jacob gave Joseph a splendid new robe. It was beautiful and rich with all the colors of the rainbow, but it made Joseph's brothers jealous. They wanted rich rainbow robes, too. Have you ever had your sibling get something and you've been a little jealous you wanted it as well? That's how uh, Joseph's brothers are feeling. Then to make matters worse, Joseph kept on having these special dreams. I dreamed I was the greatest. I was king, Joseph told his brothers, and you all bowed to me. Now I'm sure you know, even if Joseph didn't, that telling your brothers things like that 
isn't a very good idea. Joseph's brothers hated him even more. They wanted to kill Joseph and his dreams. I hope you guys aren't fighting with your siblings enough that you want them to die. If you do, please tell your parents because that's not good. <laughs> and one day, Joseph, one day, that's exactly what they tried to do. They tore Joseph's robe right off of him and sold him to slave traders for 20 pieces of silver. The slave, the traders took Joseph to Egypt and made him into a slave. The brothers went home and lied to their father, telling him that Joseph was dead. That's the end of that dreamer, they thought, but they were wrong. God had magnificent dream for Joseph's life, and even when it looked like everything had gone wrong, wrong, God would use it all to help make the dream come true. God would use everything that was happening to Joseph to do something good. Meanwhile, though, things were not looking good for Joseph in Egypt. He was far from home and from his dad. Then he got blamed for something he didn't do. And even though he had done nothing wrong, he was punished and thrown in jail. But Joseph, but God had not left Joseph. Poor Joseph. So his brothers didn't kill him, but he ended up in jail and as a slave. One night, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had a scary dream about thin cows gobbling up fat cows. What on earth did it mean? He didn't know. But Joseph was a dream expert, so Pharaoh sent for him. It means a famine is coming, Joseph explained. There won't be enough food. Pharaoh was so pleased by Joseph's skill that he immediately took Joseph out of jail and made him a prince. Now back home, Joseph's brothers had run out of food and everyone was hungry. God's special family was in danger. If they didn't get food soon, they would starve to death. So Joseph's brothers travel to Egypt to buy food. Who do you think they're going to find in Egypt, I wonder? They came and knelt before the new prince. His brothers didn't know that the prince was Joseph, his, their brother. But Joseph knew who they were. Joseph's dream, the one about his brothers bowing down to him, was coming true. It's me, Joseph cried. When they saw it was Joseph, his brothers were afraid. They had wronged Joseph. They had sinned and they knew it. Now Joseph would certainly punish them. But Joseph looked at his brothers and his eyes filled with tears. Even though his brothers had hurt him and hated him and wanted him dead, in spite of everything, he couldn't stop loving them. His heart, which they had broken, filled up with love and Joseph forgave them. Joseph threw his arms around them. Don't be afraid, he said. Behind what you were doing, underneath everything that was happening, God was doing something good. God was making everything right again. Joseph didn't punish them. He rescued them. He brought God's special family to live safely within him, with him in, G in Egypt. One day, God would send another prince, a young prince whose heart would break. Like Joseph, he would leave his home and his father. His brothers would not like him and want him dead. He would be sold for pieces of silver. He would be punished, though he had done nothing wrong. I wonder who that person is later in the Bible. I bet you have some guesses. So hopefully you haven't got to the part of the quarantine where you're trying to sell your brothers or sisters into slavery. <laughs> but uh, if you are fighting, it's a good story to remember that uh, you can forgive one another, even if someone does something that really makes you mad. And uh, it's okay to be angry. Joseph was angry with his brothers, and his brothers were angry with him. And uh, 
sometimes you maybe just need to take some time apart and take a breather and maybe say a prayer and say, God, I'm getting so frustrated with my family, but I know I love them, but they're driving me crazy. And I hope that uh, we can be getting along again soon. So with that note, I hope you all have a wonderful Sunday with your families and uh, I'll see you again soon. Bye. Our Old, Old Testament scripture this morning are selected verses uh, from chapter 8 of Proverbs. Listen to the word of the Lord. Does not your wis wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gate leading into the city. At the entrance, she cries aloud. To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find this, life, and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves all who hate me love death. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel lesson this morning is from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. This is the word of God for the people of God. This is a sermon I shared in August with the community at Emmanuel Presbyterian Church. Because the text falls right within this liturgical season's exploration of Jesus' teachings, preaching, and healing in the Gospel of Matthew, and offers us some food for thought 
for this uniquely challenging human season that we are in as a congregation here at Bethany, as a country, and as a global community, I want to offer it again today. In a beautiful new novel called The Book of Longings, Sue Monk Kidd tells the story of a first century Israelite named Anna. Anna is the daughter of the chief scribe of Herod. She's a skilled reader and writer herself, and she's the wife of Jesus of Nazareth. Early in the story, when Anna is just 14 years old, her wise old aunt gives her a bowl into which she is instructed to write her most fervent prayer. Anna writes, Lord our God, hear my prayer, the prayer of my heart. Bless the largeness inside me, no matter how I fear it. Bless my reed pens and my inks. Bless the words I write. May they be beautiful in your sight. May they be visible to eyes not yet born when I am dust. Sing these words over my bones. She was a voice. Anna asks God to bless her deep longing to speak the truth into the world. She has something important to say, and she prays that her words will be blessed by God, to be blessings to others. What Sumunk Kid has done so beautifully in this novel is give us a window into the inner world of a first century woman who has her own relationship with God, her own questions and doubts, her own desire to grow in wisdom. And she's a perfect match for Jesus, who at the age of 20 is also growing into his own sense of who he is, how he believes the Holy One is at work in the world, and what the calling on his own life is. The two of them are practical mystics, moved by spirit to do things they never thought they would do, to bring God's justice and compassion to the world. In the passage from the Old Testament, we hear the voice of wisdom. Full of metaphor and poetry, the book of Proverbs is mystical literature with a practical focus. In this text, we meet Lady Wisdom, who stands at the gates of the city and calls out to everyone within hearing distance. Her message, in a nutshell, is this. If you want to please God, you will become wise yourselves, and your behavior will reflect your wisdom. You will care for the poor, you will speak the truth, you will be honest and compassionate, and you will continue the work of creation. If you do this, you will thrive. If you do not, you will find that you are flirting with death. Wisdom is a voice. She is a voice of the divine. She called to the ancients in Israel, and she calls to us now, urging us to become voices, 
to become practical mystics, opening our hearts and minds to a kind of living that we never thought was possible, to be the growing presence of God in the world now. I wonder when you felt like Anna and wished for a blessing on what you had to say. What was the message you needed to share? Looking back, can you see how Lady Wisdom may have been with you, urging you on, helping you in those challenging, risk-taking moments? There were important moments early in my ministry when I knew I needed to speak up, when something was really wrong and I was in a position to address it. The first time was when I preached my very first sermon to my first homiletics class in seminary. It was my first time in the pulpit. What I remember most about the feedback from my professor is that he critiqued what he called the seductive quality of my feminine voice. I was completely silenced by the shame I felt in that moment. Thanks now to the work of Brene Brown, a researcher in the area of shame, I know that that warm wash I felt come over me happened because this professor belittled my personhood instead of critiquing my preaching. Thanks to the wisdom and courage of one of the male students in my class, who had not been shamed into silence, the professor was forced to wonder if his own voice from the pulpit might be considered seductive. That student who spoke up was the voice of Lady Wisdom for me on that day. The second and third moments happened in two different workplaces, a church and a hospital. In one situation, my integrity and my Christianity were called into question when I used gender-neutral language for God. In the second, in about 1990, before anyone really had a name for it, I discovered I was in a situation of sexual misconduct where the behavior of my clinical education supervisor toward others in our department was making it impossible for any of us to progress toward our professional goals of certification. In each of these situations, I knew there was something terribly wrong that threatened my personal well-being, and in the one case also threatened the well-being of my friends and colleagues. I knew that speaking up could mean the loss of my job. It could even jeopardize my entire career. In each case, though, I finally decided that I really had to speak the truth, to try to reclaim a sense of my own wholeness and dignity, and to protect others who I believed were being harmed. I would love to be able to say that after I spoke up, everything was right as rain. The truth is that while things eventually did get right, it was tough going for a long time. This brings me to our reading from the Gospel of Matthew, the story of the Canaanite woman who calls out to Jesus and insists that he heal her daughter. This passage is kind of an affront to our image of Jesus as a great listener who gets it right every time. 
In this instance, it seems to me that both he and his disciples get their initial response to this woman very wrong. To put their response in historical context, Jesus, up to this point, appears to have believed that his ministry was only to the people of Israel, the people who he would have thought of as God's chosen people. This woman was a foreigner. She was not an Israelite, not a Jew, and so she was considered ritually unclean. A devout Jew like Jesus would probably not have been seen with her at all, let alone bless her or heal her daughter. The disciples and even Jesus himself tell this woman to go away. What they have is not for her. She, however, with a deep and undeniable longing for her daughter to be cured, has come all the way from her home in another region to find Jesus and ask him for, her, for his blessing, and she will not be ignored. Into this life-changing moment, the woman from Canaanite speaks a new truth to Jesus about who God is and about the life and work Jesus is called to. Insisting that even the tiniest crumb from the master's table will be enough to get her what she wants, she stops Jesus in his tracks. You can almost see him doing a double take. Finally, he calls her persistence faith. I call it wisdom. She could have been silent. She could have given up and gone home. Instead, she speaks out, and her daughter is healed. That alone is significant. But the other wonderful thing about this story, the reason I love it so much, is that it is precisely at this moment when Jesus recognizes that her voice is the voice of one who God also cares for and feeds, that the trajectory of his ministry expands. It's in this moment that Jesus knows his ministry is not just meant for Israel, but is in fact meant for everyone on earth, that indeed all of creation falls within the ongoing, creative, loving work of God. The Canaanite woman speaks with the voice of Lady Wisdom. She calls out to Jesus, she makes her case, and she causes Jesus to grow, to become wiser in the ways of God. The poor and the oppressed are not only situated within the nation of Israel. The potential for healing and wholeness is not reserved only for those of Jesus' religious tradition. They are for everyone. She speaks, Jesus grows, and the history of divine love at work in the world blossoms again. We're standing in another such moment, I believe, when those who are listening may hear the voice of wisdom calling out to them. We have things to say, blessings and healing to seek, courage to find and wisdom to share, just like the woman from Canaan. What we can learn from her is that it is okay. Often it is essential that we insist that God and others 
listen to us. Sometimes we must rail at God. Sometimes we must call out to the world around us. Sometimes we must persist with our message even when the odds are against our being heard. In one of those important moments I was telling you about earlier, the moment when my Christian integrity was being challenged, a dear friend was Lady Wisdom to me. She said, you're going to have to tell him what this means, you know, and that he can't do that again. You have to speak out and remember that it, it is for you, it is for your sake, but it is not only for your sake. And so with my heart in my throat and a growing sense of the truth that I needed to share, I challenged his right to question my integrity. His response floored me. He listened. He heard. He apologized. And then he asked me to tell him more about myself and about what I believed about God and language. And so I did. I believe wisdom was present as each of us grew at least a little bit, that day. Where do you need the courageous and wise energy of the Canaanite woman in your own life these days? Is there someone who embodies wisdom for you now? It could be a friend or a mentor, a poet, a teacher. You all know Mary Oliver is often the voice of wisdom for me. Civil rights activist, Senator John Lewis, was the voice of wisdom for many people for decades. Just before his death not long ago, he left us with this wise instruction that sounds very much like Lady Wisdom at the Gates of the City. He wrote, When historians pick up their pens to write the story of the 21st century, let them say that it was your generation who laid down the heavy burdens of hate at last and that peace finally triumphed over violence, aggression, and war. So I say to you, walk with the wind, brothers and sisters, and let the spirit of peace and the power of everlasting love be your guide. There is a practical mystic in each one of us. As followers of Jesus, we are called to listen deeply to the voices of others and to the ways spirit is moving in us during this particular moment in history. But we are also called to speak up, to give voice to the things that we know need saying, to seek healing for what needs to be made whole and to seek God's blessing as we push ourselves and the realm of divine love into spaces and regions we never dreamed possible. So may it be.
worshiping online, we'd love to get to know you and help you to become part of our community. There are small groups and Bible studies that meet, meet throughout the week, and we'd love to have you be part of that. We'd love for you to be a part of everything that's going on in the church, and during this transitional time in our life together, you can either email katie at bethanyprestacoma at gmail.com or you can message us at Facebook. We'd love to get to know you. One thing our community is especially grateful for is that we're continuing to support all of our staff, including the hourly staff who work normally on Sunday mornings. But to do that, we need your fin financial help throughout this crisis. First of all, thank you to those of you who already donate online or through a direct deposit. Your response during this crisis has been simply amazing. You're an incredibly generous congregation and we are all so thankful for you. If you normally write checks, please send them in. If you don't already donate online, you can do that at bethanytacoma.org forward slash give. There are ways to make a one-time gift or uh, to set up recurring gifts. We'd like to just ask you to take a minute to consider what you feel called to give at this time. In addition to financial support, we need spiritual sustenance from one another. I'd invite you now in the comments to share with us what you've been seeing or experiencing as God's presence with you in this last week. Share an offering of how God is sustaining you. We pray for one another and with one another for our joys and our sorrows. I invite you to write your prayer requests into the comments section as we listen to the hymn of prayer. What are your sorrows and fears this week? 
What's breaking your heart? And what's giving you life? What is your joy? We also pray for our global community, for all people everywhere who are suffering, who seek justice, who are working to heal our home, the earth, who bring hope to others, who remind us that we are not alone. Let's share our grief, our hope, our connections, and our commitment to peace and healing, as well as our gratitude in this time. separate homes, let us join our hearts and our minds and our spirits in prayer. I will pray several portions of prayer, and after each one, I will say, Lord, in your mercy, and you are invited to respond, hear our prayer. Let us pray. O Holy One, God of all wisdom, God who has created all things in beauty, 
We come to you in thanksgiving for the gifts we have received, first among them being our belonging in you. Grant that we may know the truth of that belonging and that from that place move into the world speaking your truth, your loving kindness, your will for justice and peace in your world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for all who are sick, that they might know healing. We pray for those who care for them, that they might know rest. We pray for those who are grieving, that they may be comforted. For any who suffer in body, mind, or spirit, that their suffering would find its remedy in love and compassion. We pray for the lonely and the brokenhearted, that they may be companioned in the tender places. We pray for the powerful, that they may be wise and know their limits and their responsibilities, and that yours is a kingdom of power that serves the least among us, among us first. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for all citizens everywhere who seek to discern how rightly to engage their rights and responsibilities in this election season, that we may be wise and discerning and grateful for the gift of this shared duty. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And now we ask that you hear the prayer Jesus gave us to pray together, saying, our Father and Mother, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We have a few announcements this morning for you. The Bethany community is still active and striving, even if it looks a little different these days. There are a lot of things going on, and we invite you to check out our weekly digital newsletter. This is posted on our Facebook page each week, but you can always sign up uh, for our email list on our website or by contacting Katie in the church office. Just a few announcements we'd like to highlight today. Bible studies have begun again via Zoom on Mondays at 7 p.m. and Tuesday mornings at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to uh, join either one of these groups, please contact the church office and Katie will get you on the mailing list. Importantly, we are going to have a congregational meeting following worship next week, November 1st, to elect our new deacons and elders. You will also be held, this will also be held via Zoom. There will be a link for that meeting in the weekly update, so please be sure to mark your calendars and join us for this very important 
meeting. And that's next Sunday, November 1st. Last but not least, we want to invite you to our Zoom coffee hour immediately following worship today. There's a link in the description of this video to get to the meeting. We hope you can pop in and say hi. Hope to see you there. And now may God's wisdom be your guide. May you find the beauty and truth of your own voice and may the world know the power of divine love through your living. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and always.